just like you do. Welcome to Lawyers Are Assholes. I'm your host, Brett Adams, a lawyer, I should say a recovering lawyer, who found a platform to address a broken legal system. This is where we call out incompetent and unscrupulous lawyers, prosecutors, and judges. Anyone that touches the legal system, we're coming after you if you're an asshole. Welcome, welcome to Lawyers for Assholes. I am your host, Brett Adams. Uh, we're going to switch up today. We had a guest scheduled, uh, but the William uh, Husel verdict came down about a half hour ago. It's going to fit into the subject matter that we were going to talk about initially, but we're going to do this solo today without a guest. And for those of you uh, who are not in this jurisdiction, Columbus, Ohio, there was a physician charged with uh, 14 counts of murder. Actually, he was originally charged with 20 or 30 counts. They dismissed um, many of them and tried him on 14 counts of murder. Uh, And about 30 minutes ago, as I predicted, uh, he was acquitted and found not guilty. Now, I want to give you, uh, listeners, some background on this case because we're going to talk about what a horrendous, uh, horrendous uh, prosecution this this was. And I know all the players involved in this um, in this case. I know the judge. I know the prosecutor. Um, prosecutor's friend, actually, uh, a good friend of mine, Ron O'Brien, um, who uh, originally filed these charges against this against this physician. So a little bit of background. Dr. Husel was a, a physician employed working mainly mainly nights uh, at Mount Carmel Hospital System here in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, he was well-respected. I'm going to tell you how I know how he was well-respected uh, further in the podcast. But he was uh, well-liked and he uh, administered, uh, was accused of, a, of, he actually was accused of killing these patients by administering um, excessive doses of fentanyl. Now, they, of these 14 cases, of these 14 alleged victims, you must understand that all 14 uh, families were uh, consulted. Uh, they were end of life. Uh, all of these people were going to die. And um, it's just a fact of life that physicians come in and say, uh, you know, we, we advise you there's no, there's no hope. Do they have uh, uh, a, a no code? How do you want to handle it? Uh, all, those, all of these uh, issues were discussed with, with the various families. And the doctor then uh, described what uh, my friend Ron O'Brien um, uh, stated was excessive uh, doses of, uh, of fentanyl. Now, I don't know about any of you listening to this podcast, but if my time is up, I want to go painless and I want to go quick. Uh, I don't want to linger on a vent, uh, uh, languish on a ventilator for two or three or four or five days. Um, I want to go, and there is no prescribed procedure. There's no, there's no um, medical book, medical rule. There's nothing that says um, a certain amount of, of fentanyl is the right uh, dose. But Ron O'Brien determined that. Uh, he provided these excessive uh, doses to patients that were going to die regardless. So the the trial proceeds. Uh, he's he's represented uh, by Jose Baez. Uh, remember him from the uh, Casey Anthony case. I was a little bit concerned about that originally. I didn't know if the guy was a, a showboat lawyer or actually competent. Uh, and I and I watched a lot of the trial. Uh, he actually turned out to be uh, obviously competent because. Half hour ago, as I said, uh, uh, Dr. Husel 
was acquitted. For those outside of this jurisdiction, uh, uh, it is William Husel, H-U-S-E-L. You can Google this. You can you can read about it, uh, find out what, what happened. Uh, but a lot of this goes to really judges, which was part of uh, the original conversation in today's podcast. But Mike Holbrook was the trial judge. Uh, Mike was one of those few lawyers that, that actually practiced law. Good guy. Uh, I've got a good relationship uh, with him. Uh, however, Mike Holbrook is, is uh, subject to this electoral process just like any other judge. And I'm going to give you the, the perfect example of why we have to stop electing judges around this country. Mike Holbrook, Judge Holbrook, is coming up for an election, uh, re-election. Uh, he's got some more years. Uh, he's got a cushy job. Uh, he's getting PRS. Uh, he doesn't want to go back to the practice of law. And um, he uh, was never, he was never going to rule on a motion to dismiss, which uh, Husserl's attorneys filed early on in this case. And it was dead on arrival because no matter what the merits were, which I read, I, I thought it had an excellent, I thought it should have been granted. Uh, however, uh, you're not going to get a judge uh, in this jurisdiction in a high-profile case that is going to dismiss these murder counts when the general public, because of the media attention, which we're going to talk about that too, which the media attention brings to this case. Now, for example, local television uh, station here, uh, uh, CBS affiliate, uh, which I complained about to the general manager, every time they covered this case, they put a picture of the guy in his mugshot. Now, you know, we still have this presumption, uh, uh, supposedly, and why they would they would make that such a negative connotation during this trial, uh, but they did. They put his mugshot every time they talked about it. Uh, the newspaper did it because it was so, uh, again, high-profile, 14, 14 uh, alleged cases of, of, of murder. And, you know, they made it out. The media made it out to be. I, I didn't think any of them were really, and I'm in this industry, but I didn't think any of them were really fair to this guy throughout the entire, the entire process. Now, let me, tell you, let me tell you my theory of why a lot of this happened. Now, I actually also know personally some of the, uh, some of the personal injury attorneys uh, that are representing these families. And uh, I'll, I'll, I will bet you the farm that uh, many of these same personal injury lawyers know Ron O'Brien, the prosecutor, as well as I do. And I guarantee you they were on the phone clamoring for criminal charges against this guy because obviously criminal charges really enhance, uh, scare the hell out of, of the hospital to be able to force them to pay money to uh, compensate these people for the alleged crime or the alleged tort. But remember, many of these people were, were, were very aged. So it, when you evaluate a case as a as a lawyer in any wrongful death case, if a person is 75 years old and they're male or female, sometimes they've exceeded their life expectancy and the damages are very, very limited. But if if you scare the hell out of a hospital and you, you fire, which what Mount Carmel did, which I think was grossly unfair, they fired the pharmacists, the nurses, they, they because they were covering their own asses. They, they, they put everybody uh, out here in jeopardy to, with their nursing licenses, their pharmacy licenses, uh, immediately without really doing a comprehensive evaluation 
or saying, listen, this doctor may in some instances or in, in some view provided uh, excessive amounts of fentanyl, but is that a crime? And, and does that create liability for the hospital? And they all ran scared, and, and they hurt so many other lives besides besides this guy. You could see the toll, and, and this would happen to any of us charged with murder, but you could see the physical toll on this guy from when he was indicted and booked and mugged and walked out of the jail cell, uh, jailhouse to today when when he was acquitted, just the physical wear and tear. I mean, this is a... This is a legal tragedy for a guy that should have never, ever been been charged initially in this case. And a lot of this has to do, in my opinion, with uh, some of the the uh, the personal injury lawyers pressure uh, on the prosecutor and the in the hospital to to really nail this guy. And and uh, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very happy to change course in this podcast today and talk about this case and and uh, I'm going to reach out to him or Jose Baez. I'm going to try to get him. Uh, on, I will get them on this podcast because I'm going to chase them until I and, and get their real life perspective. But it, it brings me back to uh, the the issue of judges, which we're really going to talk about uh, today. And the fact that we put that the public perception of judges, uh, I'm going to work the rest of my career as long as I have this platform to change this perception that judges are the best and brightest and they've earned this position uh, because they were at the top of their law school class or they they practiced for years and years and earned this position and nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing can be f- further from the truth. Every lawyer knows this, but they're too cowardly to stand up and say it. I'm going to give you specific examples. In this jurisdiction, in Columbus, Ohio, Franklin County, the surrounding areas, uh, I, I will tell you that two-thirds, maybe three-fourths of the current judges at the Municipal Court, Common Pleas, Court of Appeals, and even the Supreme Court of Ohio could never practice law on their own. They couldn't do it. They, they're either not smart enough, they don't have the moxie to do it, uh, they don't have the interpersonal skills to get clients, retain clients, to argue a case, uh, and that's the, that is the absolute truth. So so the judge that you go in front of, especially at a common pleas level, remember, that can impose the death penalty, uh, that could uh, find your company or you personally liable for hundreds or millions of dollars. That's the kind of authority these judges have. And many of them, i um, give you three examples just that, that of, of people that I personally know and one that I practice with in my short stint at a large uh, law firm never practiced, never sat second chair, uh, never participated in an actual trial, gets elected to the common pleas bench uh, without ever, not, not even raising an objection, uh, let alone having to rule on an objection. I've said this before, when, when I was approached about being a judge as a, a young lawyer, even five years in, I'm like, well, you know, I don't think I got enough experience. I mean, there's, there's just no way I could do this. I don't have enough experience in, in certain civil or criminal cases to be able to do this job. But in Ohio, we elect uh, judges uh, if, they, if they have a law degree. So we have another judge in this county whose entire experience in the practice of law was sitting at a computer and judging red light cameras. So and it, we don't have them here in the city anymore, but there were red light cameras. If you contested the red light camera thinking you didn't run the red light, you would file an appeal. And this person 
this lawyer, uh, you know, I don't even know why you'd have to be a lawyer to judge these, whether somebody ran a red light or not, but that's the experience. They run for judge, they get elected, and suddenly uh, they're ruling on, on, on million-dollar cases. We had a third judge that I personally know that, uh, again, never tried a case, uh, was a politician, never tried a case, and and now that judge is in is in the courtroom, ruling on on uh, uh, people's freedom, um, and it's just it's not it's not right. And then and then we talk about uh, court of appeals judges. It's even worse. Uh, most of them have never practiced, or they were common police court judges that decided they wanted uh, easier uh, four day uh, uh, six hour work week, and um, and then they uh, rubber stamp these opinions uh, from the from the lower uh, courts regardless. But listeners, th- this is going to be a continuing education of of how inept uh, the judiciary very is. Now, don't misunderstand me. We, we have to show, which I always did, we have to show deference and, and respect. It's an important process, but it is frustrating to go before a judge that you know that has half the intellect that you do that is lazy as hell and could impact you or your clients your, your clients future uh, because you wouldn't want you wouldn't want a surgeon operating on you that hasn't performed a surgery or sat second chair and why do we do that with important issues uh, such as the uh, the legal profession and then and and then the the pomp and cir- circumstances which I still can't believe you know it's it's 2022 you know, it's not 1850. The, Clarence Darrow is not in the courtroom. Um, why some of these clowns feel uh, they got to wear the, the 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 robe and and up and down and and your honor's coming into the courtroom and I mean that's just not necessary. The in my practice, the the two best most memorable judges that I ever had, they never put on that damn robe. They walked into the courtroom or they they did pre-trials in the, in their offices or a conference room. There was never this this I am better than you attitude about how they took uh, how they dealt with with lawyers and clients and they were so respectful to lawyers. They they would compliment you in front of your client. They would never berate you like some of these fools do. Uh, they wouldn't have the attitude as some of these fools would. I I, I'll continue to tell this story of uh, of a judge that that a case I was involved with and it was pretty contentious and six eight lawyers involved and he wants everybody back in chambers and he singles me out and says Mr. Adams you you think you're the smartest person in this courthouse and and I said uh, no judge I I don't th- I don't know about the entire courthouse but I know I'm the smartest person in this room and and I think every lawyer there is about to have a heart attack because. And and again, I, I was always respectful unless I was talked to in that in that manner. And then I and I stood up and and that is that is the other reason that so many of these judges think that they're untouchable or untouchable or they get robitis is that lawyers are constantly kissing their ass day in and day out. And and some of them, frankly, aren't intelligent enough to know that that behind the scenes we're all talking about him because any trial lawyer uh, worth his salt uh, that has uh, continued contact with we we know whether a judge is a moron or not we know a judge whether a judge is going to hammer somebody uh, in a criminal sentencing um, we know what the patterns are we know what the what the history 
is. But I, unfortunately, I think a lot of these judges think that, that the lawyers actually uh, like them because they come and give them uh, a, a political contribution at a fundraiser uh, when, when we're actually talking about their complete and total incompetence behind their, behind their back. So let's let's cha- let's pivot just a little bit. Um, I'm going to stay on on bad mouthing on bad mouthing judges as it relates to this uh, case similar to Husel, but but this is of of national uh, significance. And and let me give you the background on it because it's affecting the entire uh, medical community. There is a 38 uh, year old uh, mother of three uh, nurse named um, Redondavat in Nashville, Tennessee. No history uh, other than positive caretaker and a very successful nurse. Uh, now, a couple of years ago, uh, she made a tragic mistake, and um, she put the wrong medication in an IV uh, of a 75-year-old patient, and the patient subsequently uh, died. Now, that uh, obviously is a is a serious mistake, but it was ac- it was accidental. It wasn't. Uh, intentional. Ms. Vaught testified in front of uh, the nursing board uh, in Tennessee, which obviously that's going to happen anytime that there's a tragic death. They're going to want to find out uh, what happened. And uh, the facts showed that uh, she literally in the same cabinet reached for the wrong medication, put it in the IV, and the patient died. Now, this very much like the Dr. Husel case is very personal to me because my wife is a nurse. My mother-in-law is a nurse. I've got so many nieces that are nurses. Uh, my wife's best friend is a nurse. I am friends with with the multitude of of doctors. I, and and just because of my, which we'll talk about, my two life flight and motorcycle accidents someday. I've had a lot of contact with medical professions uh, professionals throughout my my career. But when we start criminalizing mistakes in the medical world that there's something tragically wrong with prosecution. Uh, now, let me relate this back a little bit to the Dr. Uh, Husel uh, matter is that uh, in full disclosure, I, I, I know a lot of those people uh, involved in, in, at Mount Carmel that were, uh, that really uh, thought that this doctor uh, Huso was a, a great humanitarian that didn't want people to suffer, and that was his reason that he provided these uh, large doses to to help these people go as quickly and peaceably as possible. But when you've got this uh, nurse that that made a a very simple, and I would say simple, I'm mischaracterizing a, 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 a tragic mistake that could happen to any one of us. Then you're you're jeopardizing how medical uh, professionals uh, deal with this. I mean, do you want to be a nurse if 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 you think that you're going to get charged, you're going to criminally get charged, and and go to prison because you've made a, a mistake? We've never done this before. I mean, should a lawyer uh, go to prison because they made they made a mistake? I mean, this is this is insanity. So. I've really thought about this a lot because I, I've done a lot of research on how it's affecting hospitals on a national basis, the, the, the way they're dealing, uh, because most hospitals and most medical professionals are saying this is an aberration, this is wrong, this is not fair, 
to uh, go after a, a nurse. Uh, oh, here's another thing that, that really just galled me was they used the her testimony uh, where she came clean in, in the board hearing and, and said, listen, I made a tragic mistake. Obviously, that shows up in the criminal tri- uh, trial. And then, of course, again, going back to judges, they did the same thing with this Husel, is they charge you with reckless homicide. And then if the prosecution doesn't feel they've made that case, they're going to go to the judge and demand instructions of a lesser charge. And then, and when, whenever a prosecutor does that, uh, it shows you, despite all their protestations, it, it shows that, that they didn't have the confidence in the original charges they brought. So we're going to let the jury, and then it puts the jury in a really bad situation because they may f- totally feel that this person wasn't guilty of what was charged, but yet legally, because they got instructions to find them guilty of a lesser charge, uh, they're put in a position that they f- they feel like they've got to give the prosecution something. And we'll talk about that in, 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 in greater detail, but I want to go back to this this prosecutor. And I, to date, have, have uh, uh, not used the F word uh, to talk about. Uh, well, I haven't used it at all. But uh, this assistant district attorney, Chad Jackson, this guy's a fucking asshole. I mean, he is a fucking asshole. Uh, compared uh, the actions of this nurse to a drunk driver who killed a bystander, uh, said the nurse was worse because it was if she were driving with her eyes closed. Uh, it's just incredible. It's incredible. So the first thing I'm doing, um, because it's so topical, I'm going to lean on uh, producer Dan to edit and get this thing ready as possible because I'm going to send this podcast down to the media in Nashville and try to bring some attention to it because, again, uh, you got lawyers in that jurisdiction that, that have to work with these with these judges and these prosecutors that may not take uh, the moral stand that they should take uh, and by the way, the, the prosecution is recommending prison, recommending prison. I mean, it's bad enough that, that this woman's going to lose her nursing license, be a convicted felon, but to go to prison. Now, and I don't, I, I just, I cannot believe I'm in a mi- minority position of this defending the medical position. Well, I know I'm not because of, of uh, all the edicts that are going around uh, in hospitals saying, hey, I hope you're your local prosecutor is not the asshole that this Chad Jackson uh, in Nashville, Tennessee is. Um, but I wanted to bring this to everybody's attention today uh, because it shows, it just shows you uh, how dysfunctional this legal system really is. And, it, and again, it, it, it always circles back to, circles back to the judge because where, where the hell is the judge in this case saying, uh, hey, Mr. Prosecutor, uh, don't you think this is a little aggressive? I mean, the judge has the power to bring these parties in and say, hey, isn't this, isn't this a little aggressive? And um, obviously you had a weak-ass judge um, as well because I can't, of the, of the judges, of the few judges that I actually respect, um, uh, none of them would find that this action uh, is palatable. All right, so now we, we go to... Brett's rant, although um, most of this entire podcast has been a rant on the season, uh, on the uh, on the system. But I am, I'm very happy. Uh, I went into this in a positive note from uh, the Dr. Husel standpoint because this guy, this guy is gonna. He walked out today 
is a free man. Um, it'll help him in his civil suits now. So maybe the insurance company will will have some courage and stand up and and say uh, to this seventy five year old person that that unfortunately passed away, uh, you were you were on your way to death's doorstep. Uh, we're not going to pay you a million dollars in in damages when this doctor was trying to do the right thing uh, and provide you comfort care. Uh, but but on the other hand, uh, when you go back and, and you look at this prosecutor in Tennessee that uh, ruined this lady's life, I mean, you can't, uh, you can't help but to get angry about it. And, um, and I really, really going to make an effort to get, get some awareness down in, in Nashville so that, uh, because the answer here is, um, is you take this prosecutor. Now, again, this was an assistant prosecutor because the main prosecutor in that district probably never tried a case. So they had to actually have a real lawyer attempt to go in and try it. But, but you as a general public, uh, you can't have prosecutors that make these kind of decisions. I mean, this could happen to, this could happen to your relative. I mean, you know, uh, you know. Fortunately for for this guy, it's not one of my relatives. Now, I'm not advocating adva- violence in any stretch against any prosecutor. I'm just saying it would be a different ball game if I was personally involved in it. But you, you can't go around, uh, and I reiterate, you can't go around beating up prosecutors as much as I would like to. Uh, you can't you can't do that. So you got to get to them through the ballot box. You got to get through them through public pressure because we can't have our entire medical profession on edge uh, and it, and really concerned if they make a mistake, uh, are they going to go to jail? Are they going to have the cops uh, knocking at their door with a warrant? Are they going to have a, a grand jury and indict them? Uh, because grand juries can indict uh, anybody. I mean, anyone. Prosecutor comes in, uh, there's no uh, judge, there's no jury, it, and prosecutors can be very persuasive about anything. So you can get about anybody indicted you want to get indicted. But but I'm just uh, so disappointed in that decision. I feel so bad for that lady. I feel bad for her. I feel I feel great for Dr. Husel today. So there's a little bit of balance in my life today. But uh, that's that's my rant today. Really appreciate appreciate you all listening, uh, and hope you got a little bit of, out of what we had to say today. And thank you very much for listening to Lawyers Are Assholes. Mm-hmm.